This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title from Diana Palmer, Rebecca Zanetti, and Kate Pierce, Lone Wolf. Headlined by Western romance legend Diana Palmer, three celebrated New York Times bestselling authors combined their talents to celebrate the wildest version of man's best friend, the noble wolf. Each novella revolves around a rugged man and his trusty wolf protector as an opportunity for happily ever afters arise. Filled with sizzling tension and well-drawn characters, animal and human alike, this anthology is sure to resonate with readers looking to answer the call of the wild. Loyal as a wolf and just as strong and untamed, three solitary heroes are about to meet their perfect partners in this thrilling collection from a trio of New York Times bestselling authors. Every one of Diana Palmer's books, and there are a lot of them, have hit all of the bestseller lists in hardcover, trade paperback, and mass market paperback. Palmer has an impressive amount of reader loyalty, and the number of those readers just keeps going up. Don't miss her story, Colorado Cowboy. And if that wasn't enough to sell you, New York Times bestselling author Kate Pierce is known for her ability to create realistic and compelling communities filled with complex characters that fans of Western romance crave. The wolf on her doorstep promises to bring more characters everyone will adore. Do you need just one more reason? Lone Wolf is rounded out by multi-award winning New York Times and USA Today bestselling author Rebecca Zanetti. Known for her high-octane action, scorching sensuality, and strong yet emotionally complex characters, we can't wait to read Rescue Cowboy Style. You can find Lone Wolf by Diana Palmer, Rebecca Zanetti, and Kate Pierce wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello, I am Harmony. I'm Maggie. Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club, where this week we have a very, very special episode because we have some guests on. Guests, would you introduce yourselves, please? My name is Molly. And I'm Yasmin. And we run a book review website called The Mistress of the House of Books. Very exciting. Thank you both so much for joining us today. We're going to get started with a, you know, a little bit of an icebreaker Harmony's really into the icebreakers. So we're just going to ask you some questions to sort of get to know both of you. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about who you are? Maybe start with like, what's your favorite genre of books? Yes. So my name is Yasmin. And my favorite genre of book is actually historical fiction. I was a history major in college. So I love the history part, but the fictional part makes it more fun. And I'm Molly. And I also love historical fiction. Um, I also recently have been reading a lot of memoirs, but kind of like these shorter memoirs that are more about just certain moments in a person's life, not really as long as like an autobiography. Um, so I've been getting into that recently. We've read some of those recently. Have you seen uh, Heartberries by Teresa Marie? My out. <laughs> Mild. I knew it had like a hut at the end. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't heard of that one. Mm-mm. You might like it. Okay, I'll have to make note of that. So before we get started into our icebreakers, I just want to do a briefer. So Maggie writes for you guys. Can you tell us a little bit about what The Mistress of Books is? Sure. So we it's it started out as just being a place for us to talk about books that we really loved. Um, and actually, it started because Yasmin and I wanted to find a way for us to keep in touch kind of long distance because at the time we were both living in Paris um, and then Yasmin decided to leave me. But we knew that we wanted to, you know, remain close and we, our friendship has kind of been built off of books from the very beginning. Like I remember the first time that we, we met, it was like, the first subject that we started talking about, of course. Um, So just kind of like naturally like this idea kind of formed. Um, And so in the beginning, it was really about the book reviews. But as we went on, we decided that we wanted to incorporate some other sections to the website. So one that's really important to us is our spotlight section. And that's where we interview women or female um, women. 
And we also have a musing section, which is really kind of like a, our most creative part of the website. We accept short stories or poetry. Matt, that's where Maggie's published one of her poems with us. And then we also have another section, which is kind of like our what, our, what we read section. So like titles that we've read recently, um, reading lists. Um, we've got one up now, another one from Maggie, a historical fiction reading list. Um, and basically the idea behind the website is to put women writers in the spotlight. I personally found feminism through literature, actually. So I, and it sounds like I feel weird even saying this, but I didn't really ever think about feminism until probably like five or six years ago. And it was actually when I started my master's degree in English literature, and it had a very big female focus. And we also had a lot of discussions on just the fact that women writers have kind of been left out of so much of, you know, all literature up until very, very recently. And so we kind of, our website is kind of a way to like fight back against that, to have this place where women are put in the spotlight. And that's basically the, the idea behind the website. And at the time, both of us were writing our master's dissertations and we were like writing on feminist topics. I did mine on the Pantheon and the fact that there's only uh, three women buried in there and they're buried with their husbands and how that was super problematic in France for that to be a thing. And then Molly, you were writing on Marion Moore, and that's it, right? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> that's beautiful. It sounds very scholarly. Yeah. Like Yasmin was saying, we were both writing our dissertations at the same time, um, and that was really nice to kind of – we weren't even at the same school, um, but we would always meet up at the library and, like, have, you know, hour-long dates just, like, writing and, and taking out books. And it's definitely a big, important part of our friendship, for sure. Did you guys – I'm sorry if you already addressed this, but did you meet in Paris? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Let me tell you our, <laughs> our meet-cute story because it, it's really different. So when I was in college, I did a study abroad in London and I went to Paris one weekend and I went through this tour company ran by this woman, Karen, who runs Sight Seeker Delights. Shout out to Karen. <laughs> uh, and Molly worked for her. So when I moved to Paris after graduating, I contacted Karen and Karen goes, I have this girl who works for me. You two would be, you two would hit it off basically. So I contacted Molly. Molly's like, let's meet up because we both lived in 16th or Dismont, which is like the most boring of all but very like beautiful to look at. <laughs> so we met and we just hit it off, but I had to court Molly for a good year uh, before Molly would agree to hang out with me. Like almost every, it went from a hangout every month. And then after a year, it was, like, she would meet me every week. So yeah, it took a year to court Molly. <laughs> being my friend. And that's how it works in Paris all together. It was, you have to like court people for friendships. So I I kept strong though, because I knew that it was something special. <laughs> and this is like so funny for me to hear because like, I am just, it's kind of like cliche, but like, I am like your classic bookworm introvert in my own little world. Like, and like Yasmin is saying too, like in Paris, it's really difficult to kind of like, make friends so you kind of get a little bit jaded after a little while and you're kind of like mm, I don't want to know I don't know I'm gonna kind of like keep my distance for a while um but I mean here we are all these years later and we have our little baby together <laughs> that is an adorable story of friendship thank you so much for sharing that with us <laughs> <laughs> do you each have a favorite author and if so can you tell us a little bit about them your relationship with them so it's funny I like I have my favorite favorite authors of all time um and it's actually it's funny this question like when Yasmin and I interview people we always ask them this question but I personally hate being asked this question because it's like who do you choose so Yasmin mentioned that I did my dissertation for my master's degree on Marianne Moore. She's, so she's, you know, one of my very, very top, top favorites. Um, it was 
kind of ironic though after I finished my paper because I had been working on it for a year I like couldn't go near her for a couple months because I was like I need a break from you Um, but she's a modernist poet so if you've heard of Ezra Pound T.S. Eliot she was writing with them around the same time period and so actually a lot of these um, male authors credit her as being their inspiration so she was one of the very first modernist poets and Many people haven't even heard of her, um, sadly, which is what was, was the motivation behind me choosing her for, for my topic of my, of my dissertation. Um, so she's a favorite. I also, I love Vladimir Nobokov, kind of have this special relationship with him that I've had for years, but it kind of evolves the older I get and the more experienced I get with reading and writing. The things I really do love about him is just how beautifully he writes in English and it's not his um, native language. And that's something I can really relate to because so I've lived in, in France for seven years now and I speak French, but I could, I can't imagine writing in French and just the fact that he, you know, is Russian and English is second language, but he still manages to write so beautifully. And that's just so beautiful to me. And one of my other favorites I have to mention is F. Scott Fitzgerald. Again, just kind of like one of those authors, you know, I read his words and it's just so beautiful. And he's another American who lived in Paris. So I kind of have that sort of um, relationship to him. It's funny, like, Yasmin and I were speaking about this before, but it's like my some of my favorite authors are not women, but I do have to say, like, I, I love Nabokov, I love Fitzgerald, and of course, Marianne Moore. One of our bonding books was actually the fact that we both were into Russian writers. <laughs> we both said it's like a, an obsession of ours because it's so beautiful, but at the same time, it can be so dark. So you finish a book and you're like, Molly, I'm going to be in a weak depression. <laughs> <laughs> finishing this book oh it could be so hard but just throwing titles at each other uh for me personally my favorite author is elena ferrante there is just something about her writing i can't i can't even explain for her i cut back on all the books i own but i kept all her collections of, of her books the series My Brilliant Friend might be like the greatest masterpiece of the century, hands down. I've made all my friends read it. In fact, one of our friends, one of our mutual friends finished it and she <laughs> left me a voicemail yesterday, very angry at me <laughs> for, for how this series ended. <laughs> but I, what I love about Elena Fronte too is nobody knows who she is. So she writes under a pen name and she's completely ambiguous because she doesn't want to be famous for her writing. She goes, this is, I, I don't need to have this stardom whatsoever. You know me as a writer and that's all you need to know me as. I'm like, wow, that's absolutely incredible and beautiful. So I love her. And then I also really love Andre Asman, the one who wrote the book, Call Me By Your Name. Besides one book I did not like, I did not like his book. Something about like snow and nights. I hate, I hated it. Within one chapter, I had to put it down. But everything else written by him, I, I love. So those two are my favorite. Very nice. I lit up because I'm also a Russian literature nerd. So I am, I'm with both of you on that. And Elena Ferrante, I first read My Brilliant Friend probably like four years ago at this point, maybe five. And I didn't get it. I didn't connect with it. And then I revisited it recently. And I feel like as an adult, having more friendships and like seeing how complicated they can get and navigating that. I was like, Oh, okay. I see what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. I actually remember when I wrote, when I read the series, I finished the first book and then I went to Paris last January to visit and I only packed the second book and I finished the second book within like two days of visiting. And I go, I need to go to the, I own these books. And, and Seattle, but I need to go to the bookstore right now and get the third and fourth book. And my friend who I sang with was laughing at me. She goes, you should have packed all of them. I go, I just don't have enough room in my suitcase. <laughs> yeah, they're too good. I have to go buy them. That's very fun. I can never choose favorite authors. So I'm sorry for asking you the question. Um, I would never want it asked me. No, I feel like you guys have already kind of addressed this because you've talked a little bit about doing your various dissertations and obviously you run a book website together, but what is your relationship to reading? Like, what was it when you were young? What, how often do you read? 
I mean, reading has always played a huge role in my life. From I, I th- I'm pretty sure I learned how to read at a very young age. It was something that I kind of always shared with um, my grandparents, who I spent a lot of time with when I was a kid. I always also shared it with my mom. She's a huge reader as well. When I think about even my childhood, like what I remember is like staying up too late with my flashlight underneath the covers, like reading my books, you know. I kind of fell, I guess, fell out of touch with reading when I was doing my undergrad, which apparently is pretty normal. Um, I think it's just because, you know, we're kind of tasked with all of that extra reading at at school that we're not used to that, like your free time, you don't really want to read. I came back to reading once I had finished my undergrad. Um, and it was, I haven't like left it since basically. <laughs> it's cliche, but you know, when you're feeling lonely or sad, just pick up a, a book and kind of put yourself in a different world and you can kind of separate yourself from, from your own problems. It's also in recent years has been a great way to meet people, right? So joining book clubs, which is something I never really ever considered doing, but in the past couple of years, I've joined several, um, have met some really amazing people through the whole book club community. And I also have a pretty close relationship with reading because I actually read a lot for work. I work as a content creator and a freelance writer, and a lot of my work involves reading. So that's been great to be able to like turn something that I'm so passionate about into a way to kind of earn money so that's been really really rewarding that's wonderful what about you yasmin so when i was little my family is not a family of readers whatsoever and when i was little actually they were going to send me to summer school because my reading wasn't on par like i wasn't at the right reading level and so my mom bought me dr seuss books and i had to i had to read them so i didn't have to go to summer school and after that it was something about i know Dr. Seuss is controversial right now, but Dr. Seuss is the one that got me into reading and to the right reading level. And my proudest achievement was in sixth grade, uh, the Reading Olympics. I got called up because I read the most books out of everybody in the entire school. (laughs) So for me, reading is a competition. (laughs) 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 For me, reading is the thing I do to like unwind from whatever is happening in my life. It's a de-stressor. It's a place to escape. I love taking all my, like, I love taking books on vacations and like you have books for different uses. You have the books when you do vacations or when you're, you need something to like fall asleep to when you go to bed or just all these different things. But honestly, reading is my constant companion and I could, depending on the week, I can easily finish three books in a week. Molly's seen my stacks. Oh, she's like, she eats books, honestly. Like, always puts me to shame. Always puts me to shame. That's how Maggie is, too. Yeah. She's very fast. And I'm, I'm a slow reader. Like, I take my sweet time. Yeah. So while I'm finishing, like, a book every two weeks, Maggie's read, like, ten. <laughs> Follow up before Maggie gets into like more more uh, icebreaker questions because I feel like you guys both brought up really interesting points with your relationship to reading and um, I'm studying to be a librarian so uh, reading yeah (laughs) reading motivation is very interesting to me but Yasmin brought up the fact that like she felt like she was reading later uh, in her schooling career and that's something I really relate to and you both kind of talked a little bit about reading motivation for Yasmin, it's all about competition. And you talked a little bit about undergrad and then finding reading again. Do you guys have any like recommendations? Because I think that a lot of us, especially those of us who maybe were told in school that we weren't good readers, have a lot of hesitancy picking up a book or like a lot of shame when we can't finish a book. Do you guys have any tips for like making reading just a more enjoyable, shame-free activity? First of all, we should never be ashamed if we're not finishing a book. I think that's something that I used to be super hardcore about. Like, I started it, I'm going to finish it no matter how much I hate it. And that's something that I've kind of like, I guess you could say, come to terms with in the past few years. It's like, think of it as anything. If you were like eating something you hated, would you force yourself to finish it? No. Would you force yourself to finish a movie that you hated or a TV series that you hated? No. Just there's no need to force yourself. Um, Yasmin, I'm sorry. It's not a competition. Um, 
for me, whenever I have, you know, friends that approach me, I, I'm, I can't get into reading. What should I do? Mine is, my advice is always to start with something very light, you know, like these quote unquote fluffy reads, which I kind of don't like calling them that because it's kind of like a bad connotation because sometimes you want a fluffy read. Sometimes you, it's the same thing. Sometimes you just want to watch like friends uh, or you want to watch the office. Like you just want something that is relaxing and enjoyable. And so for me, that's helpful too. If I ever feel kind of stuck and like my, cause of course it happens to me too, where I don't feel motivated to read. Go back to something that you love, you know, a book that you've loved in the past, like reread it. You might find something that stands out that didn't stand out the first time. Um, Don't jump right in. Maybe don't jump right into like Russian literature, you know, like pick a fantasy series if you like that kind of stuff. I think it's all about, you know, I think sometimes there can be kind of like this pretentious snobby side to being into reading or into literature. And there's kind of like this pressure to have read, you know, everything that the Bronte sisters wrote or to read, you know, Mary Wilsoncroft's like feminist manifesto. Like, no, it doesn't have to be like that. I think that that's another piece of advice I would say is to not take reading so seriously. And I think that's unfortunately because, you know, a lot of us associate reading with schoolwork or things we were forced to do when we were teenagers. And I think it's really important to kind of like separate reading for pleasure from, you know, reading a book at school that maybe you didn't really like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My advice is that life is too short to finish a book that you don't like. If you don't like it after one chapter, just put it down and walk away. That's completely fine. Um, If you're looking to get into reading, think of things that you like, even stuff you like in TV shows and go to a local bookstore and talk to one of the booksellers. That's what they're there for, to be able to give you recommendations. And usually their recommendations are really good. For example, I love going to Elliott Bay Book Company here in Seattle and talking to the booksellers because they're not pretentious at all. <laughs> and they're, a lot of booksellers actually are not pretentious, except that Shakespeare and Company. No, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But they they have good recommendations always, and you should just stick to the stuff you like. And if you start to branch out, so be it. But if the only thing you read is, like, murder mystery or young adult, so be it. It's all very, very good advice. I can confirm Elliott Bay is a top-tier bookstore. Uh, if y'all are ever in Seattle, you should <laughs> definitely go visit there. They've got great books, great staff, and their cafe is awesome. So, you know, good news all around. I was just really called out by that. I am... <laughs> I'm one of those people who, like, if I pick up a book, I'm going to finish the damn book. So I've got to internalize that yeah. for a second, you know, deal with that. But I guess while I'm having an existential crisis over, over here, we can keep going. Uh, you've talked about it a little bit, but I guess just to give you a little bit of space to kind of, you know, add anything. Why did you choose to focus with your website on stories by women and non-binary people? So the reason why we chose to focus on stories of women and non-binary people, because there isn't a platform that we can think of that solely focuses on these on women and non-binary people and when it comes to reading our books. And this was definitely something we wanted to do since we were taking on, like, uh, I guess our, uh, as we were taking on feminism for ourselves, and this is what we wanted it to look like for us. But we also will look at male authors, but through a feminist lens. So how does this male author portray women in their, in their books? Are they the ones that solve all the problems? Or are they just there as a secondary character, you know? And then we do have men that do contribute to our site as well, but they contribute it because they're feminists themselves. So we do allow space for all people as long as they're as long as they're feminist yeah and just to kind of like keep going off of that like something that like I already mentioned the reason why I guess like feminism was brought into my life was because when I was studying at school I just realized how little space there were was for women authors or non-binary people and so a big part of the reason why I'm so passionate about our website is that 
like someone might might read something that we recommend and they've never heard of that author before. And if it happens to be a woman or a non-binary person, great, you know, because there's moments when I look at my own bookshelf and even just us talking about our favorite authors, like it's like men, white men, white cis men. And so it's almost like it's some, it's a resource that I wish I would have had years and years ago, like when I was trying to build up my own library. Um, so if we can just, you know, share one author with someone and like make a difference in that one person's library, then like, I'm happy. <laughs> I have a follow up to that question, if that's okay with everyone. What does reading these books through a feminist lens look like exactly? Is Can you guys condense that for us? <laughs> it's looking at the book and seeing it through maybe the woman's perspective. So like, I mean, you could take one of Fitzgerald's books, for example, and Tender as a Night, and the female character is portrayed as almost being like a a whore. (laughs) You know, like she's going Mm -hmm. out, she's dating different people, yada, yada. The main character is like super irritated at her about it. And just how she gets a bad rep, but she's like a young woman just living her life. You know, or you have Ernest Hemingway, who is a, I don't like rating him because I think he's a garbage person, <laughs> but how he portrays women and they're just, they're just so sexy and so sexy feeling and like no woman is like that whatsoever. And it's just like, they're absolutely perfect. They have legs as tall as trees and just the way that they describe them. So again, like seeing these women characters and like reframing them or seeing how they actually are you know it's like are these portrayals realistic and what sorts of sexism are these characters being confronted with yes definitely yes maggie and i really struggle with this on our podcast what are your personal definitions for feminism and how does that relate to how you're reading these books my personal definition of feminism has a lot to do with just equal opportunity just making sure that you know, everyone has has an equal opportunity, has an equal say, has an equal place. Because as I've kind of been saying over and over again, it's just, you know, men are kind of, they're there. And there's just so much history that we can learn about men. There's so many books we can learn about men. And we're, we're almost constantly being bombarded with the male perspective and seeing things through the male gaze, whether it's through books or movies or series or advertisements, social media, almost everything. And it's just, for me, feminism is all about kind of making space, like moving that all over to the side and putting in these other pre- perspective. And so that's, that's why for me, feminism is about giving, you know, a voice to women, but it's also about giving a voice to non-binary people. It's about giving voice to, you know, people that don't identify as straight or heterosexual. Like, so for me, it's, it's all about just like broadening the perspective of other people by bringing other perspectives into the conversation. If that makes sense. (laughs) Totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And just like picking back off of that. And again, we, we always say in front of the, our book review, like we're a feminist book review, but we are an intersectional feminist book review because we will not per, like portray the view of feminism that just comes from a white female. You know, we're not, we're not about that. We're not going to do it. Like intersectional feminism, all everybody is along with that. So that's an important bit for us too. Do you guys feel like, I know for Maggie and I, we we try and do the same thing. We call ourselves an intersectional feminist podcast. But when we're looking at the perspective of feminism, because sometimes we do read a lot of books that come across. Sometimes we read a book and we're like, this is not inclusive of everybody, but it's still kind of feminist, I guess. And where do you draw the line between like, because intersectionality means everyone, right? Where do you draw the line between like, this is feminism and this isn't, this is just everyone. Is there a distinction to be made there? Can the gates be wide open or is it just fighting for equality? Like, is it still feminism if it's just everyone? Well, I mean, yeah, it it has to be everyone because even men need to be feminists too. You know, like that's that's one of the most important things is even men need to be feminists in order to get this all to work because we don't, as feminists, we're not trying, like, we don't want the male population to die off. We don't want them 
them <laughs> disappear or we don't want women to take over the world. We're literally just asking for uh, an equal playing field, you know, for everybody and also for like history to be written in a way that does include women that were part like who were there the whole time <laughs> so yeah honestly feminism needs to be for everyone but it also needs to not be for like the white race you know going on going on with it and one of the things that can be hard is having claiming like saying you're an intersectional feminist but then only giving like a white female feminist perspective like you also have to have diverse voices within your podcast or on or on your book review like we do in order for it to in order for it to work you have to practice what you preach because it's also kind of like almost this kind of first wave feminism perspective of the white female the white feminist it's in the same ways that it's kind of like okay we've heard enough from these guys it's kind of like okay maybe we've heard enough from these white ladies which you know I say that as a white person but like that's I think the whole reason why the whole intersectionality aspect of intersectional feminism is so important and why it's becoming more important now is yeah it's like well I guess it also has to include our trans sisters as well you know yes and that's something that's been that's something honestly that's been opening up a lot more that's been a lot more of a conversation because it goes okay well do we you know jk rowling for example who has a huge issue with this but like do you are like are trans women women it's like absolutely freaking lootly <laughs> you know and including that within the intersectionality world of it too and hearing their voices yeah absolutely that's something that harmony and i spend probably too much time talking about especially i think in relationship to white feminism specifically we try and read a really large range of voices on the podcast and you know constantly striving to improve that there's no like one perfect way to do that but i think often we run into issues when we are reading from white women authors where it's like, you know, on the surface level, maybe this is feminist, but is it actually inclusive? Is it racially inclusive? Is it, is it inclusive of LGBTQIA characters? And oftentimes the answer is like either no or ambiguous question marks. And that's the point where things get really back and forth between the two of us at the end of the podcast. Like, can we say that this is feminist if it's only white feminism and I think for a while we went back and forth about that for a really long time and I think that recently we've just kind of come to the conclusion that the answer is sort of no and we've moved on from there which I think is likely to upset some people we just had this issue with a book by Sue Monk Kidd so the stands are coming for us (laughs) (laughs) no I mean I feel exactly the, the way you do like if it's like if it then if it doesn't include everyone I then no no to answer your question to circle back to your question Harmony <laughs> yeah and we'll we'll read certain books and we'll do reviews on them and I did this one book review on one of Meg Walter's books and I after I finished I go wow this was this was not a good book and I it was she's very well known for being a feminist author but you read her books and they're all white characters. They're all white characters. It's like all, they're all li- living like these lives. It's like, oh my gosh, I went to college and then I decided to move back home and my boyfriend, his his brother died and I don't know how to deal with it. So I'm going to break up with him and like then go to New York and like live my life and have this mentor who's almost like a Gloria Steinman, <laughs> like my character and like this mentor. It was it was ridiculous. I go, what is this? What is this book? How is how is she known for being this huge feminist author? And yet this is the only book character she actually does. That makes me think of this book that is extremely famous in the world of feminism. Like many people say, like, if you haven't read it, you're not a feminist. And Yasmin knows um, it's that one woman who run with wolves. That's actually one of the first books that I didn't finish. It was one, one of the first books that I actually like gave my permission to not finish. And it was mostly because, and we actually, Yasmin and I spoke about this in one of our book clubs that we're in together called the feminist um, book club in Paris. And it is just so, like, she's so centered on the idea that in order to be a woman, you need to have your period. Like, half a huge section of the book is all about that. And 
that's right there is a great example, I think, of having to like relook at some of these feminist texts that maybe were once appreciated in the time period that they were published in and being studied and to kind of look at it again through, you know, glasses that we can put on in 2021 with all of these different perspectives that we've been slowly building up. And it's, I think it's really important to constantly be putting things into question like that um, because we're constantly learning, we're constantly broadening our perspectives. And as we're doing that, that's when you start to realize like, oh, maybe this isn't as inclusive as I originally thought. Um, and I don't think there's any shame in being like, you know what? No, now I would never recommend that book to anyone, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think to me that really resonates too with the idea of like what the canon is um, and constantly revisiting mm -hmm. that. And I think that a lot of people associate the canon with, you know, classic literature or things that you read in high school or whatever. Um, and I think that there are starting to be more conversations about updating that thought process and what we're reading in school and what we consider to be classic. But I think that that idea exists in every sort of subgenre of books that you're reading, like, and you have to constantly go back and saying, okay, you know, even if something was only published 10, 15, 20 years ago, does this still hold up today? Does this still need to be like the text? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to even have a text that's like the guideline, the Bible, essentially, mm -hmm. of, of what you're doing? Thank you for that. That really made me think. All right, should we get back to our icebreaker questions? <laughs> I'm going to go back on script. So I guess this kind of coincides well with our conversation currently. But on your site, you mentioned that uh, your contributors, you've allowed, you've welcome contributors in and they happen to have similar values as the two of you. I think you've kind of already addressed this with the idea of feminism, but like, what are the values of this site? What are you looking to promote into the world? So again, touching on intersectional feminism. So we look for women who come from different backgrounds, uh, different races in order to, to write for us, basically. I mean, we didn't want to just be a platform where all we did was post like beautiful photos of like books with coffee cups and cats. You know, we wanted something deeper with within um, within the site. So that's what we look for. But also, like I said, we have men as we do have men that write for us as well. And as long as we all like can agree on like intersexual feminism, we we're good. We won't ever have somebody. <laughs> right who doesn't agree with this type of feminism on our site because they they have all their own platforms that's not something we're gonna <laughs> do ourselves yeah to kind of like build off of that it's just like for just all about having a really broad perspective it's all about having different points of view it's like empathetic basically is basically what we what i hope to that our site kind of like is putting back into the world like that's the kind of energy that i want to be putting back into the world is like I haven't under, I haven't gone through what you go, have gone through, but I want to know from you how it felt like. And like, that's the kind of stuff I want on our website is, and that's kind of like why we got to the point with Yasmin that we started looking for contributors because we've, after a couple of months of just publishing our own thoughts, it was like, okay, well, we need to start like practicing what we preach and we need to get some other points of view out here. And it was really important for us to, like Yasmin said, have, really people from all over the world like we've some of our contributors are one of them is in mexico another one is in scotland i'm in france yasmin is in america maggie's in america there's a couple other people in america too um and we've now we've got a bunch of new contributors one is in india and it's so it's really kind of like slowly but surely trying to build this like worldwide view perspective that's kind of like living on our website, I guess. <laughs> um, so kind of like to circle back to the original question, like our values, um, definitely, you know, acceptance is the, the biggest and number one, like inclusion, honesty. And I guess also too, just kind of like circling back to like a passion about sharing stories, sharing stories that haven't been told yet and just giving people a voice who might not have it. That's really beautiful. I guess going off of that, how do you kind of get connected with your contributing authors? I know that we all sort of got connected on Instagram back at a time when I was actually updating our Instagram regularly. Um, but how do you sort of uh, meet your other contributing authors? Most of it comes from, you know, the beautiful world of Instagram. Um, I, I have very mixed feelings about social media personally. I 
do a, a lot of my work involves being on social media. And so I can get to these points where I'm just like, no, like I don't want to look at my phone anymore. But that being said, I feel like the book community on Instagram, if you know where to find kind of like the quality accounts, like Yasmin was saying, not just like these aesthetic accounts that are just like posting beautiful photos every day. And you're like, have you read all these books? You're like posting a new one every day. Um, but yeah, to, to answer the question, the first time we decided that we wanted to find contributors, we found a few through the book clubs that we're a part of. And then the others we found on Instagram, like profiles that we liked hearing from, like when they would do like their little mini book reviews and their captions. The second time we decided to kind of put a call out for contributors. So rather than us like sending out a bunch of like DMs to people, we just kind of like put it up on our page. And we actually got some a really great response to that. Really, really excited. We've got some new writers this month that we're very, very excited to have with us. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like hot. It's kind of like futuristic word of mouth, I guess you could say, like going through Instagram. Um, but again, like also to like book clubs. Um, great people are in book clubs. I love book clubs. Mm-hmm. I miss being a part of a book club. I don't really have any time anymore. So this is it. But it is that's where Rubber Girls Book Club started from. I was in a feminist book club and I was like, I really want to expand this and and like narrow our focus down a little bit. So how would you say that the mistress of the house of books, did I get all that right? (laughs) Okay. How would you say that's different from other book review websites? When Molly and I were digging up this idea, it was actually quite beautiful. We decided to go to Monet's garden (laughs) and kind of like talk through it and like just be inspired by this great painter and like the and the gardens that inspired him (laughs) so we're out there we're talking about it and we go honestly I can't think of any feminist book reviews that are online that have this sort of thing going on at all if you think of the different book clubs that there are like you have Oprah's book club Reese Witherspoon but you don't actually have them reviewing the books whatsoever or like you don't really have a portfolio, but then you do have book reviews. Like you have the New York book review or, and they just, but they don't focus on this specifically. So we decided, you know what, let's, let's focus on this. And so that's honestly how we're different because we're one of the first, it feels like, unless somebody can prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's just, I guess we kind of like wanted to go a little bit deeper, like take it to the next level, kind of like what you were saying when you had the idea to, to start your podcast, you know, it just, okay, it's all, it's like book clubs are awesome. We have a great, like, you know, two, three hour long conversation. And then you just like go home and you don't really think about it anymore. And so it kind of stems from a place of wanting to just go a little bit deeper. And I also too think, and maybe I'm speaking for myself, Yasmin, so correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but also kind of like, Like, sometimes I can miss being at school and, like, having to write a paper on a book I just read and, like, doing something with my thoughts, you know, on on what I just read. And, you know, I underline things in all of the books that I read and, like, doing something with these things that I'm underlining. So, yeah, I don't know if that's really related to the original question, but I wanted to share that. (laughs) That was totally Harmony and I, too. We were like, we miss English class. The first iteration of Rebel Girls Book Club was probably actually Harmony and I sitting in our house uh, our senior year of college every morning drinking coffee together and like slowly started just reading books together and talking about it. And when we lost having that because we graduated and then I moved across the country. um, And she was in grad school. So I didn't hear from her for like two years. (laughs) All of that was over. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, like, this is what I really miss about that reading experience and that aspect of our friendship. So I totally, totally relate to that sentiment. How? So I guess going off of that, since you guys are kind of the first doing some of this work, what's some of the feedback that you've gotten uh, on the website and the reviews and things like that? Molly, you want to touch on this? Molly's like, I I love her. She does. She does everything. She she knows all of this. Um, I mean, all of the feedback we've gotten has been really positive. Um, and you know, people are like, it's, it's so funny now too. like, this is kind of like, 
an aside, I guess. Um, but like if someone asked me for a reading recommendation, I'm like, just go to this website and you'll find everything that, <laughs> that I love. No, but honestly, all of the feedback we've gotten has been super positive. Um, you know, it's either been people saying that they loved learning more about a book that we post about, or it's people saying, Hey, we would love to be like featured on your website. Like, would you mind like interviewing this person that I know, or would you mind reviewing this book that I loved? Like, um, nothing but good things, honestly, nothing but good things. And it's also been a great opportunity to meet people with the same sort of ideas that we have. Yasmin mentioned, and this is something that I really wasn't expecting when we started, just the fact that there would be men interested in writing about feminism. And that was like a very pleasant surprise for me, <laughs> especially, you know, my, and I think a lot of women would have this, but my, my gut reaction was to say no. Like, why? My gut reaction was like, why are you like on my feminist website? What do you have to do here? Kind of. And it kind of like was a good opportunity for me to check myself and be like, stop judging this person. <laughs> like, they're, they want to, you know, push the same ideas that you want to push forward. So it doesn't matter if they're a man or not. Um, so that was something that was, a pleasant surprise for me. And it also was a good way for like me to put my own judgment in check. And I like appreciate when I can, when my judgment is put in check like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. Maggie and I very rarely read books written by male authors. I think just because there's so many like women authors we want to promote, but also I think as we've been challenging our status quo about gender a little bit, that's opened up a little. And I think I think the idea is that we want to focus on feminist characters and we do want to promote a lot of like women's voices because they aren't as equally represented in the publishing industry. But if it still has a feminist theme, we might still read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so why do you guys think reading is so important as a hobby? I think that you've already talked a little bit about this earlier in the episode. But like what is it what does it do for you? Why why should everyone read? To kind of like go back to what Yasmin was saying, like it's a great way to like kick back and relax, you know. And especially in this world now when it seems like we're constantly in front of a screen, whether it's our computers or our TVs or our cell phones, like it's it's nice to kind of go back in time a little bit and have a book in your hand and have like the pages between your fingers. And I think me personally, I it's extremely important to have reading as a hobby, as a writer. You know, it gives you ideas. It can inspire you. It can help you with your own writing. Um, that's a big reason why I try to read kind of as much as I can. Um, and it's also just a great way to, again, you know, broaden your perspective. Uh, I think a lot of reasons why people don't understand certain things is just through ignorance. And, you know, the uh, best, the best way to, to kind of combat that is to start educating yourself and what better way than a good book. And for me, I guess, I guess that's probably the most important reason why reading is like important to have as a hobby is to just continue to broaden your your perspective to continue learning how other people experience life yep. everything molly said i agree with so i for our listeners you know where where can they find you how can they support your work is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't give you a chance to i just want to shout out with people you should definitely read women in translation absolutely incredible great literature coming out of korea and japan right now <laughs> So look, look, look for that and read women that are translated. Okay. Yeah. Um, where can people find you? Um, so you can find us on social media. It's the mistress of books. And that's also our website. It's the mistress of books.com. Um, we also have a newsletter. You can sign up for our newsletter either in our Instagram uh, profile, or you can do that directly from our website. Um, and we hope to one day have a podcast of our own. That is like some of our future plans. So hopefully you guys can be guests on our podcast. <laughs> um, and then also one thing that 
I think was on the list but we didn't talk about and Yasmin was like you need to answer this question and I also just want to put it out into the universe as much as possible is in the future my ultimate dream for the mistress of books is to turn it into a publishing house and help um, women or non-binary authors get published that is like the ultimate goal dream so keep your eyes peeled for <laughs> the mistress of books publishing house that is like hopefully the direction we're going. Yeah, especially because Molly's got the experience in editing. I've applied to law school, so we will we will have everything we need for this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to read the books you guys publish. Yes. Thank you. And also listen to your podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah we we've got a bunch of a bunch of things in the works, so stay tuned. All right. Is that all folks? Do do you all have time to tell us what you're reading real quick? That's how we like to end yeah. our episodes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm... Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'll, I'll go first since make me good. But uh, right now I'm reading a book that Dearest Molly sent to me because I'm on a book buying ban <laughs> for the year. Um, <laughs> so she sent it to me because she's a sweetheart. And it is Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zimmer, Zeller, something like that. She's the one who does Japanese Breakfast, the band. It is so good. It's so emotional and you will want to eat the entire time because of the way she describes the food. So I'm liking that a lot. That book is on my TBR. I'm glad to hear that it's really good. I'll, I'll scoot it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am in the middle of two books, which is very unlike me, but um, I'm rereading A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf because someone lent me a beautiful copy of it. So I'm revisiting that after not reading it for a very long time. So it's been cool to reread it. Um, and I'm also working on a book for the Feminist Book Club in Paris's meeting, which is in a few days. It's called Detransition Baby. It's by Tori Peters. Extremely good. It's all about, well, the main character is a trans woman, and it's about her journey surrounding motherhood. So I won't say anything more, but it's it's very good. I mean, I just started it yesterday. I'm almost finished. So yeah, that's what I'm reading. Lovely. Do you want to say what you're reading, Maggie, or should we just... Because I'm reading the same thing I was weeks ago. <laughs> I'm actually reading something now, so I guess I can update anyone. Uh, but I'm reading Pride by E.B. Zavoy, and I'm also reading The Black Flamingo by Dean Atta, which is a little weird for me because they're both YA, uh, and that's not usually my jam, but I'm into it so far. It's good. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. It's so fun. Yay. Wonderful. All right. Bye, folks. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash RGBC and clicking the support to this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to medium.com slash rebel dash girls dash book dash club and clicking read along. You can follow us at RGBC Pod on Instagram at Rebel Girls Book Club, on Facebook at Rebel Girls Book One, on Twitter, and you can email us at Rebel Girls Book Club at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Rebel Girls Book Club is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.